This is the North Georgia Life Podcast. Embrace life where you live. Welcome to the North Georgia Life Podcast. It's Jake, your host. Today's episode is going to test the limits for some people because it's about snakes in Georgia. And the reason that I did this episode is because I have been seeing all over social media snakes everywhere. Everybody is posting snakes and they're like, what kind of snake is this, good or bad? But this is a really neat story and it will actually be a really, really helpful resource to you in identifying good snake, bad snake. We're going to see them. You're going to see them over the course of your life here in North Georgia. It's inevitable. And the more educated you are about anything, the less scary things are. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Just know it's not going to make your skin crawl. It's not going to be super creepy. Uh, I do think you're going to learn things that will help you in your future life and in any snake encounters. Um, I don't like snake encounters just because, you know, it's startling and I don't no snake identification like I would like to. So yeah, if it's a black snake, I know it's good. And that's about it. That's where my knowledge <laughs> drops off. You know how to find us online, North Georgia Life Podcast at Facebook and Instagram. You can email us at North Georgia Life Podcast at gmail.com if you have any thoughts, questions, ideas for future episodes. First of all, let me apologize. I've been in another training class the last month or so. Um, and I need to get better about prepping uh, beforehand so that uh, if there's, you know, if I go a month or so uh, without putting new episodes out there, you, you kind of know why. So anyway, I had a real estate class that I was taking and it just occupied a lot of my time. But uh, I'm out of that and looking forward to doing some more episodes this summer. So with that, we'll go ahead and get started. Welcome to the North Georgia Life Podcast. It is Jake, your host. And today's episode... I'm telling you, you just need to hang with me because some of you are going to hear the topic of the episode or maybe you read it uh, on the podcast that you're listening to and you have decided that this is not your cup of tea. And I'm just telling you, as somebody who's not uh, inherently a snake lover, um, I I have trepidations like the rest of people, there is going to be some great educational uh, tips and tools for you regardless of where you are on the spectrum. And I think it's a really neat story about how uh, somebody who uh, is, is fascinated with the, uh, the, the reptile world and you know, has really cultivated a, you know, frankly, a, a great business out of it can help all of us in our day-to-day life because as you have probably been seeing, as I've been seeing, everybody's posting <laughs> pictures of snakes all over Facebook and it kind of creeps you out if you're not a snake person. Um, but the reality is we all see them around from time to time. And we're going to give you some great information on how to help identify them uh, without putting them out to the Facebook audience of non-experts in the snake world. Uh, so with that said, uh, we are with Jim Seymour and his business, Scalabrations. Did I pronounce that right? Yes, Scalabr- yes you did. Uh, so Jim, thanks for taking your time to talk with us. Thank you for having me here today. So I want to start out because I think the, so we got to know each other because you're a past client of mine in the real estate world, uh, but I thought it was fascinating when we started talking and, and, you know, I was very appreciative when you, first conversation we had, you're like, oh, by the way, we have reptiles, so, you know, we may need to talk somewhere else if you're not comfortable with it, and as long as they're in cages and confined spaces, I'm good with it. I remember asking your your wife, like, she was not okay with snakes when you guys 
first like she was not a snake person no she was not like she, on any stretch of the imagination no is as a little girl she remembers being terrified seeing him scamper car across the yard um the great thing was she grew up in a family that encouraged her to respect wildlife mm-hmm. so even though she was scared of them and, and even her parents weren't fond of them they never hurt them mm-hmm. you know they never so um but she remained terrified of them throughout most of her life, and she made the choice herself to overcome it. Um, she saw the, the passion that I had for these animals and the, and the amount of care that I had for them. And um, she actually gave me a reptile habitat one, uh, one Christmas uh, many years ago uh, with a little note that I could put anything in it, but she really was happier if I went with a gecko or a bearded dragon. <laughs> So about one month later, I'm at a reptile show, and I see the snake I want. And I called her. I said, you know, I told you I was just going to look today, but... (laughs) Said every man that ever went to any sort of gun show, a wildlife show, outdoor show. (laughs) Exactly. So anyway, she was cool with it. I brought it home, and there for a while, she was calm she never tried to handle it or anything but she was she was comfortable it was in a habitat she could see how well cared for it was and everything and um, then all of a sudden one night I'm walking around with the snake and she asks if she can try to hold it and I'm like I'm I'm shocked I'm I'm like (laughs) stunned I'm like where's my wife you know yeah (laughs) what has happened anyway um and it started down that road, and, and she now works with me uh, helping to uh, hold reptiles. She, in fact, we're even talking. Um, she wants to learn how to work with venomous snakes. Mm. So uh, she, and, and now she's the champion of her office. And in her mm-hmm. office, people come to her with snake questions. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So so how long ago did that did this uh, love for snakes, passion with snakes start? Were you like, were you the kid that was always going in the creek trying to find snakes, or how did that work? It pretty much from childhood. I remember, I, I, I don't know if it really kind of forked off from being fascinated with dinosaurs and stuff like that, but I always remember, I never remember a time in my life that I was scared of snakes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it kind of grew from that. And then when I was young, I was reading everything I could, learning how to identify snakes, how to take care of them, how to catch them and all that. And uh, it it just grew from that, and it remained with me throughout my life. I went through a long period of time where I didn't have any reptiles simply because of the living arrangements and mm-hmm. everything. And so I was quite ecstatic about getting back into it. Yeah. And how long ago was that that you feel like you kind of launched into doing what you're doing with reptiles now? I was uh, I do volunteer work with another uh, reptile rescue organization, and it was suggested to me one day. Um, it's like you know you know all this stuff, you can do this, and I'm like, wow, I would really love that. <laughs> and and so that's really where it started, and that was oh uh, what is this 2020? So probably about. Um, Seven, eight years ago okay. was when that that uh, that thought really became mm-hmm. a something. It's like, wow, this this could be a reality. Yeah, and uh, and Scalabrations was born from that. Yeah, and you you have how many reptiles uh, in your house now? I have uh, five snakes, 
uh, an alligator. Uh, there, it requires permits to own some of these uh, animals, and I do have the permits. And I have one rescued boa constrictor that um, was turned into us and uh, I'm currently looking for a, ver a forever home for that young boa constrictor. So normally I would have five snakes and one alligator. And the what kind of snakes are is it? And is it a specific type of alligator? Yes. Because it's, uh, I, I, I'm trying to remember the name, Nip? Snip? Nip. Yeah, very good. Okay, so they told me what the name was and I literally, I remember, I remember the first time I was in uh, their house we were walking in the living room, and we you had, you had, you had to walk by Nip's uh, tank, and I figured out why he's called Nip because when he sees you, he tries to nip at you, <laughs> and it's start. I mean, the, yeah, the alligator's small. I mean, it's it's yeah. What is he? Two feet? Uh, almost three foot now. Okay, so very small mm -hmm. in terms of of an alligator, uh, but still startling <laughs> so and you've had nip for how long i've had nip for i always have to look back at the feeding schedule but i believe yeah nip would be three years old now he'll be it'll be four years as of the end of this year and i want to get to what kind of snakes it, it do you keep an alligator to a certain point and then contact the zoo and say hey i got i got i got one in this case, I'll contact the, the Department of Natural Resources. Okay. Um, the permit to, to own the alligators through them, and it's for educational purposes. Once the alligator reaches four foot in length, I can no longer have it where the public can touch it. Uh -huh. And so at that point, or possibly before, it'll be transitioned with the assistance of the Department of Natural Resources to either uh, another educational facility that has a larger enclosure a zoo it, it'll it'll make its way it'll always have to remain in captivity yeah yeah uh and the the snakes the five snakes are um there's uh, alice which is a bull snake that's from the central part of the united states there's pete and repeat that are <laughs> eastern yes br brother and sister i'm pretty sure uh that are eastern rat snakes one of the snakes really commonly seen around here um, we have an Eastern Copperhead, also for the educational program, and we have an adult uh, male boa constrictor. That's five, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, have you had all these for years? Are any of these new acquisitions? It occurred over a period of time. Alice was that first snake I got. Alice was that first snake that my, uh, my wife ever held. Uh, and then from Alice, I ended up getting the... Uh, the eastern rat snakes and the uh, eastern copperhead, uh, along within a few months of each other, mm -hmm. and then the boa constrictor was a rescue where it had been it had been abandoned in a house and was basically left to um, starve to death, mm. and hence I, the name Bones. Yeah, I, I had that thought when I was when I was driving over here. So I I, I hear stories of people that get. The boas, the pythons, and they, I, I don't know, frankly, how or, or where they get some of these things, but these are snakes that are obviously get probably far too big for staying in a, a normal, you know, fish tank enclosure, for lack of a better term. Um, where for, for people who have those things or, you know, people that parents that have, you know, that eight-year-old kid that is nagging and nagging and nagging and nagging for that, and they want to think, okay— if we did this, 
what do we do in eight, 10 years when this thing is, you know, six feet long and it needs to find a home that is not under our roof? Like what's, what do, what do people do? How, I mean, how do you handle something like that? Um, honestly, if, if you're thinking about on down the road, what do I do when it gets this big? You shouldn't get it. It, it means that you can't properly take care of that animal for its life. If you do find yourself in that situation, though, let's say you impulse buy or whatever, you didn't do the research, uh, or your life changes and you can no longer keep it, um, there are rescue organizations like like mine and others that will seek to find a forever home for that animal. Um, most of the people that keep these, the pythons, the, the larger pythons, boas um, are, are on the smaller side as far as the big snakes go. Uh, boa constrictors that is but for the people that keep the larger snakes they typically have custom built enclosures mm. um i build my own enclosures okay um so yeah you're right yeah <laughs> fish tank yeah not you're gonna t- work you're not gonna <laughs> work yeah any any favorite memories stories from so it, on your on your card you do educational shows mm-hmm. uh i know there's a reptile day at the alachi nature center here mm-hmm. in hall county mm-hmm. uh, i know there's some other ones around uh, other counties um, and hopefully everything gets back on schedule he- here soon but you do reptile themed parties do reptile themed parties which really um is uh coming in with a few reptiles doing basically a very light educational program you know mm-hmm. so that the kids understand hey you don't run up to this and this is how this may behave if you come across it and then give them a chance um, to touch and hold take pictures with the animal mm-hmm. etc it's we really try to mix something like that up with fun as well as providing a little bit of uh, education right yeah which is at some point in everybody's life you are going to see a snake yeah so it's best to learn when you're young uh, how to go about that. Uh, it's kind of like you know anything in wildlife. You, you see a bear, what to do? You you know you run. <laughs> if you see a baby bear, you run faster. Yes. <laughs> Any favorite memories, best stories, things that you think back on and, and just say, you know, this is so much fun, or this is really worth it, or just kind of feel good stories. Probably one of my, my very favorite ones was back when, uh, in, in the younger years, in the earlier stages of this, um, and like I said earlier, I, uh, I studied all about how to catch snakes, identify them, and all that, so whenever, um, whenever we were going to a more remote location, I always had my snake bag, my homemade snake hook, and a little rope to tie around the top of a pillowcase with me. My dad and I were on our way out to Elberton, Georgia, to visit his parents, and uh, it's very rural, mm-hmm. long, straight, gently uh, dips and rises in the road. And we come up over this rise, and there's this beautiful, large eastern rat snake laying across the road. And, and when I say laying across, no, not totally across. is laying in the middle of the road. In a split second, I have grabbed my snake hook bag, <laughs> got the door open, and a leg out. out. We are still traveling at highway speed. Um <laughs> I did not jump out of the car. My dad, my dad's panicking. He's like, whoa, whoa. And so he gets the, the vehicle stopped. We hop out. We were right next to a cornfield. There was no sign of that snake, but that was mm. really an exciting encounter for me. I mean, I've had lots of others, uh, first-time encounters with various snakes. and uh, But that, from my childhood, is just um, it's one of those that sticks with me. Yeah. 
So I, I think I'm trying to remember if I, if it was a home inspector that I was talking to, uh, I was, I was talking to somebody in the last few months, um, that we were, we were talking about rattlesnakes. So, uh, most people don't see rattlesnakes on a day to day basis, but I actually had a, a house, I think it was last year that was on a crawl space. I've n- never had this happen before, and I'm not trying to freak you guys out that have crawl spaces, uh, but there was a copperhead den and a rattlesnake den under the same house. So the inspector that I talked to, he's, he, he said something to me like, he's like, have you ever heard the the rattle of a rattlesnake, like, you know, n- not in captivity? And I said, no. He said, it is about the most terrifying thing you will ever experience. He said, because you, you, when you first hear it, you don't know where it is. It, it's just, it's that sound. And you're like, I think that's, I think it's a, the rattle of a rattlesnake. Uh, because those are around here, they're not super, super common, uh, but they are in our area. And, and frankly, copperheads as well. Uh, any, like, the biggest single tip, you know, if you encounter a snake like that, I'm telling you, I've seen it all on Facebook. I've, I've seen people doing things on Facebook. I'm like, oh, my gosh, where's what's the, the ne- is the next post from the ER? You know, <laughs> did you put a hole in your wall? Like, what happened? The biggest thing that, that we teach people is, is most people are bitten by venomous snakes after the snake has been discovered. Most people are bitten by venomous snakes because they try to interact with the animal. They see it, oh my gosh, I've got to get this out of here, or they try to kill it, and in the process of doing that, they end up getting bitten. Um, if you see a venomous snake, and I'll, I'll touch... Um, yeah, I want to talk on the identification of, yeah. of, of that. I'm sorry, I was jumping the gun there. No, you're good. Anyway, anyway, but if you see a snake that is truly a venomous snake, the best thing to do is to leave it alone and to call a professional to remove it. There, there are people like myself. There's organizations all over Georgia, all over the country, really, that do this happily. And, uh, you know, it's, it, we love giving these animals a, ch- a chance to live. They have a purpose in our world. Um, we may not understand it. A lot of, a lot of people don't understand it. Um, but they have a purpose in our world, and it, uh, it's a very vital part in our natural ecosystem. They control the levels of certain populations of, of other animals. As, and they also provide food for other animals so they're 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 very important to have around regardless what you think of them Mm -hmm. um but yes interacting with them um is generally a a road to getting bitten the way to avoid being bitten by a venomous snake is to never ever try to catch or kill one and watch where you put your hands and feet yeah your comment about just the their their role and their balance um in in our world, our ecosystem, uh, our environment. Uh, I don't, have you seen there, there's a documentary and I'm trying to remember if it was on Netflix or Amazon prime or, or there's is a documentary somewhere, maybe Hulu. Uh, it's called the, I think it's the biggest little farm or the biggest small farm or something like that. And it's, it's this family out in California that decides they're going to, you know, basically build this farm out of this, you know, let go piece of land. And it's, it's a documentary over, uh, I think like seven years mm-hmm. and it's all of the stuff that they're doing. And I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a full, full blown, 
diversity to the max of as far as the animals, the um, uh, the types of fruits, vegetables, all the stuff they're growing. And the 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 biggest thing that I, I took away from it, because I, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm watching this, and my practical brain is sitting here watching these people thinking they must have like a gazillion dollars because they are spending so much, you know, investing so much in this piece of property. And I think now they actually give tours of the property. It's, re- it's really neat. Uh, but they, they go through all these different crises that uh, along the way where they're having like this slug infestation where the slugs are devouring their fruit trees or something like that and the guy that had had kind of helped them and coached them along the way of of you know this is what you need to do you need to stay the course and then do this and this and this he told them it's going to take about seven years to achieve the balance with the with the with the ecosystem you have going on and sure enough by the time they got to that point because they were have i mean they would have uh, weevils that were destroying things, but then they, you know, put up uh, boxes for owls, and then there's these weevil snakes, and then they were having problems with coyotes, and then they, you know, got these dogs and, and like all these different things, and the slugs, and they got the ducks, and apparently ducks love slugs, so they let the ducks loose in the orchard, and the ducks took care of the slug problem, or the snails, or, or whatever, and so it was, it was that really neat look at saying. Like there really is, there really is a balance between things that we love and we pet and things that we run away from right. or try to get a shovel to. Yeah. Um, and, and just seeing that, so if you haven't watched that and this is at all interesting to you, I, I think it's really, really fascinating uh, to, to see there is a point in which things do reach a balance and a harmony um, and you, you don't have to go around killing things to establish the end goal of what you what you're really after uh so uh i want to go back to the snakes the venomous snakes because i've i've seen this and especially uh, one of the home inspectors i know he's found several uh sheds uh, snake skins in uh attics crawl spaces basements and you know when when the homeowner finds those like maybe a trip to the er you know passed out cold sweat it's certainly discomforting to know that something that you didn't know was in your house left that somewhere in or around your house but there's a easy way of identifying when you find that good snake bad snake right because if it's a good snake yeah you probably still want to get you know if it's in your house obviously get that uh caught trapped and, and removed it to its natural environment outside which it is probably trying to get to as well um but obviously if it's a bad snake and venomous snake you you definitely want to be able to uh, remove that very quickly so how do you how does somebody that is not a reptile lover a, a snake uh, connoisseur identify that easily okay so we'll go we'll start with the sh- uh the shed skin thing let's say you find a shed skin at the base of a tree in your yard or in your crawl space or, or wherever out so it's very easy to tell from that shed skin whether that came from a venomous or a non-venomous snake. Now, it doesn't even mean that that snake is living around there. They have a, a home range. Um, you know, most of the time, for most of our snake species, you're looking about an eighth square, a, a uh, eighth mile, eighth square mile. Easy for me to say. <laughs> so anyway. So you take that shed skin and you turn it upside down so that you're looking at the wide scales that go all the way across the the bottom of it. 
As you approach the tail, you'll find a small half-moon-shaped scale that's the anal vent. From that anal, starting at that anal vent, going back towards the tip of the tail, if it's a double-wide row of scales, and you are in the northern part of Georgia, and I'll explain that more in a minute, um, we have pit vipers. That's our only venomous snakes, are pit vipers. If you are... If you were looking at the underside of that tail from that anal vent going back towards the tip, and it's a double wide, it's a double row of scales meeting in the middle, that's from one of our harmless snakes. If it is a row that continues to go all the way across right after that anal vent going towards the tip of the tail, that is from one of our pit vipers that, we ra that range into our area. Um, so if, this, if the scales kind of continue the same through the length of it, it right. that's venomous. Right. If it changes after that anal vent, then that is a non-venomous. That's a very good way of putting okay. it, yes. Okay. And, and even on the uh, venomous ones, as it gets towards the very tip of the tail, it'll go to that double row. Okay. But that immediately right okay. after, yes. Okay. Now, um, one of the biggest things that we fight on snake identification, because you still see it in books, um, is eye shape and the shape of the head. And we're going to touch on the shape of the head. You walk up on a snake and, uh, and you see it's got a triangular-shaped head. That tells you absolutely nothing. Now, while it's true, our pit vipers naturally have that tri more triangular-shaped head. Most of our harmless snakes, when they feel threatened, can move the bones in their head to make their head look more triangular. They do this to look scary. It's no different than a dog raising the hackles on the back of its neck and growling or a cat arching its back and hissing at you. It's no different. It's just that snake's way of trying to look more dangerous. So you can't go by head shape alone. The elliptical pupils that our pit vipers have, while if that snake is in bright light, it's true, its pupils will most likely be elliptical. But you take that same snake, that copperhead or that timber rattlesnake or that pygmy rattlesnake, move it from the bright sunlight to the shade of a tree, and those elliptical pupils go round to let in more light. Hmm. So you can't always go by those two things. The easiest thing to do is just to learn how to identify the few venomous snakes that you have in your area. For most of our areas, let's like say right here where we're sitting right now in Hall County, you're on the range of only three venomous snakes. It's the timber rattlesnake, the copperhead, and the pygmy rattlesnake. And the only one of those you are likely to see would be the copperhead. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a wonderful pamphlet. I, in fact, I'm going to show it to Jake. But you can go to my website. You can go to the Department of Natural Resources. There's a wonderful little pamphlet you can download called Venomous Snakes of Georgia. This pamphlet has a map that shows you county by county what venomous snakes range into your area and it shows you gives you identification tips so let's say okay where we are we're roughly in the range of about 25 different species of snake of those 25 there's only three venomous snakes what's easier to learn how to identify learn how to identify the 22 harmless <laughs> species or learn how to identify the three venomous snakes and it's it's very easy to learn how to identify them by their pattern 
I gotcha. So uh, for those of you listening, I will put uh, I will put a link to that and and put a snapshot of it on the Facebook and Instagram pages for the podcast. So if you go on Facebook or Instagram and go to the North Georgia Life Podcast, uh, you can just scroll through and find that uh, that link as well as the information. I, I'm going to do that because I see I, I have seen uh, multiple different kinds of snakes when I've been out and about and. Uh, it's it's very easy. Like I mean, I, I know what a king snake looks like. I know what a rat snake looks like, um, and that's about it. You know, I, I know if it has a bright orange bronzy head, it's a copperhead, and you know, like, and if it has a rattle, like I'm running, I'm like, like running in terror, and that's about the knowledge of my my expertise. So, so just in case somebody you know was not paying attention and they see a snake that ends up being venomous and they've not listened to. Uh, anything that we've shared at this point and they go poking at it with a a broom and they get bitten what do they do okay and and this is the probably the most difficult part number one remain calm okay you don't you don't want to raise your pulse rate unnecessarily Um, there's a lot of old information out there uh, regarding what to do with a snake bite uh, if you have a venomous snake bite um, what most of us people, most of us that go out looking for these animals and, um, and working with them, we consider our car keys to be our most important tool. And it's very simple. You, for the most part, you look at you want to be receiving treatment within a couple of hours. Of the venomous snakes that range into the area where we are now, uh, there's only one that's considered deadly venomous, and that's the timber rattlesnake. Uh, the copperhead, which is the one you're most likely to encounter, is actually our has the mildest toxicity of its venom. It's not considered deadly venomous, uh, but you could be allergic to the venom. There's, you know, there's all, everybody's different. Every we all react differently to bee stings. Mm-hmm. So number one, remain calm. Do not cut the incision. Do not make incision marks on the uh, bite and try to draw the venom out. Do not put a tourniquet on that severely restricts the blood flow. You do want to use a tourniquet to slow the blood flow down in and out of the area. But if you put a tourniquet on that trying to stop the blood flow, basically what you're going to do is you're going to concentrate the damage to the tissue. Uh, So don't do that. Just remain as calm as you can be and just get to the hospital where you can get the proper treatment. <laughs> Don't panic is, is um, yeah. yeah, let me let me know how that goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, easier said than done. Before we wrap up, I like to do something I call the lightning round, which is a question that has nothing to do about anything. It's just a fun question. So today's lightning round question is go, going a little bit back, uh, but I, I think old music is good music. Uh, I, I call this the, uh, the heartstring question. So, which song plucks, plucks more heartstrings for a pop rock ballad, Runaway Train by Soul Asylum or Desperado by the Eagles? Ah, uh, I'm kind of a hard rock guy, <laughs> heavy metal. So anyway, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah I know. I'm, Wait, you, which one you, would your wife say? You wouldn't. <laughs> she would call me a metalhead. Uh, anyway, um, okay, I'm going to go ahead and say the song by the Eagles because I'm more familiar with that one yeah so how do people find you if people have uh let's say they've got that eight-year-old that is a you know dinosaur fanatic a reptile fanatic and 
while they don't want to purchase a reptile, that would be a really great thing to have uh, as a, a birthday party. Uh, where do people find you as far as things you're, uh, you're going to uh, educationally that are scheduled things, uh, shows and stuff like that? And then if somebody has a question or uh, finds a snake, uh, you know, in their garage, in their crawl space outside that says, hey, me no likey, <laughs> how do they, how do they uh, contact you to, to see about having that removed? Uh, the two easiest ways, we've got our, our website, and the easiest way I tell that I can tell people to remember the name is you take celebrations and replace the CE with SCA, Scalebrations. So scalebrations.com is our website. We also have a Facebook page um, that is slash scalebrations. Uh, either one of them can put you in contact with us. Our phone number's listed there. Uh, for public events, we list them on our calendar on our webpage on the scalebrations.com. Um, we don't list the private events there. Uh, we just we have a calendar where things like the Olachi Nature Center, mm. one which we are hoping is still on for this year with COVID-19 and the changes going on. We're not sure how the how public events are going to be going forward. We are looking into and, in fact, uh, starting uh, plans for doing a little bit more video work and posting videos, educational videos on the website or on our Facebook page. So. Uh, we're, we're looking at ways to keep getting the message out there and making it easier for people to reach and find more information and learn more about these good cr- critters. Good deal. Well, I, some of this I knew, some of this I is is new, and I've, I've learned stuff today. So it's one of those things that all of us have, have different uh, fears and, and trepidations in life, and, and most of the time uh, education helps resolve a lot of those things and learning uh, about some of those things and getting some of those questions answered doesn't mean you have to be a snake wrangler uh, <laughs> in your future life, but certainly I hope this is helpful for for you that are, are listening and um, you can share it with people either in your office or in your home uh, to just know what to do when you inevitably encounter a snake when you're going through your daily life. So, and if you want to seek them out, uh, you've got the the website <laughs> and the Facebook page to go to. And uh, with that, we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap up. Jim, thanks for your time. Thank you very much for having me here today. This is the North Georgia Life Podcast. Embrace life where you live.